Welcome to episode three of season 10 of the Growing Empire Show. I am back for part two with my special guest, Adam Von Rommer, and we're going to continue our conversation about the world of commercial real estate, everything that you need to know to invest and be successful in this segment. Stay tuned. Welcome to Growing Empires, hosted by real estate entrepreneur and trusted investment advisor, Jennifer DeJesus. Growing Empires provides insight to building wealth through passive income-producing real estate investments for those who want to build and manage a more profitable real estate portfolio. So you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to make sure that we didn't forget to touch on. And that was, you know, you were referencing COVID and kind of the dramatic shift of landlords control over their buildings and people not pay, exactly. right? Yep. So commercial real estate, as many people do know already, is drastically different from oh, a yeah. from a lockout, get rid of you, you're not paying kind of standpoint. So tell me some of the differences. Share with some of my listeners the differences between like what happens if you do have a commercial tenant that doesn't pay? What happens then? Off they go. Off they go. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, I had a tenant one time in a house that I owned, and she was what I call a professional renter. Oh, yes. I use that term a lot. Yeah. She had, uh, you know, it was her and her three kids that moved in. And then when I went over to collect her first rent check of $35, because <laughs> I, I I put her in as subsidized, mm-hmm. uh, it was her, her boyfriend, his three kids, her four kids, and like eight cars parked on the lawn. Oh, gosh. And, you know, the issue became during her tenure, she was supposed to pay me $35 a month. Right. And never paid it once. Wow. And you go to court, you know, and she's a dental hygienist. She's left alone with these kids. And I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not commenting on that. But the judge's attitude is, you know, you know, you got to you got to help out here. In a commercial tenancy, if your commercial tenant doesn't pay rent pursuant to an agreement, the uh, t- you know the judge basically goes, "Did you sign this? Is this you? Guess what? Pay the man or or pack up and go." Yeah. And so it's a, a hugely different process. The other thing is briefly, you can't use a Office Depot Office Max lease on a commercial <laughs> property. Not not unless you want to have all kinds of problems. Yeah. Bite the bullet, find a good real estate attorney, have them write you a lease. Right. Not your brother-in-law, the property and casualty attorney, or the divorce attorney down the street. A yeah. real estate attorney. It right. will save you lots of headaches later on. So you, you want to have that document. The other thing is you have one lease for one building. You don't right. have 16 different leases for you know 16 different tenants. Right. One lease document, you know, Terms may change, but the documents, the covenants, the rules and regs, they're all the same. Just makes it a whole lot cleaner and easier to work. So, right. um, you know, I just, like I said, I just think that the, it's it's a better, it's a cleaner business because now it's business person to business person. You know, there's no, really, there's no emotionality involved. You know, it's just simply, did you sign the lease? COVID or not, you know, you're operating there. The reason why I said earlier too, that I don't like office right now is obvious. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sitting right now in my home office. Right. Uh, I have an office, you know, basically over at the port, just outside the port here in Fort Lauderdale. And we're in a five story building. I have mostly government tenants in the building. And it seemed like during the height of the COVID crisis, 
there was like a new case of somebody having COVID in the building like every month. Right. Well, that's, that's a little bit of a concern. Yeah, yeah. Then what would happen? Look like the Ghostbusters would show up every time we'd get a notice. The the guys from the the you know the cleaning company that we have would come in in hazmat suits and spray the whole building down. And you know, a lot of people started working from home. Right. And that's I think that trend is going to continue. You know why why go? Yeah, there? yeah. It certainly changed the workplace and brick and mortar. You know locations. Permanently, oh, absolutely. for sure. Absolutely. Now, the other the other one that we talked briefly about was like retail. I think retail's getting its butt kicked, but I don't think there will ever be a time where you will see the disappearance of like all those basic needs. Like grocery stores are not going to go online. You can buy right. on a grocery store, you know, and you can right. buy online, but you know, the grocery stores are going to be there. Doctors' offices, pharmacies. You know, right. Yeah, you might be able to buy something like that, but you know, you're not going to see it, you know, online. Dollar Generals, dollar stores, things like that. I like because it's like, okay, you're on your way home. You're like, ah, God, I need some highlighters. Pop in, grab a pack of highlighters, and off you go. Right. Um, so I think you're going to see, you know, a lot of that. And I, I got to tell you, I mean, I am a, I am a big fan of like Amazon. Yeah. And I use uh, Shipped for my groceries. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've been in a store in probably six months and it's, yep. it's not because I can't go. It's just cause I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> why, why bother? You know, yeah. dropped at the front door, but yeah, I think, I think probably your, your best bet is to, to kind of like pyramid up and then look at something that's stable and, and is not suffering the, you know, the changes in tenancy. The other one that's really good, but it's big bucks, senior housing, students, student housing. Yeah. Again, you know, they're, they're bigger transactions. And that's that's probably one of the key distinctions, you know, your your listeners need to get is a residential transaction can be 50, 150, 300, 400, you know, and typically up to, let's say up to a million bucks, depending on what market right. they're in. When you start talking about doing things like an industrial building or a triple net deal, you know, some of those are three, four, five million dollars or more. So you're going to have to have a pretty good 1031 exchange, or maybe you and a, you and a couple of buddies get together and, uh, and move into that. Yeah, I was just going to ask you. So, you know, for the listeners that mm-hmm. maybe are not comfortable with that size of purchase, or maybe are not ready financially to do it, but want to tiptoe in that world, would you suggest maybe investing in like a syndication or something that that does industrial buildings or something of that nature to kind of get like yeah. a taste of it without being financially, you know, invested in a larger capacity. Well, I'll, I'll tell you in, in answer to that, that's certainly, that's certainly a good way to go, but it's not going to give you any direct operational experience. That's you know, true. It's, it's, it's being run by somebody else. So you're not going to, you're not going to see the day to day, you know, behind the scenes machinations. I right. will tell you that what I've seen lately, for example, I, missed buying a brand new bank branch, a 2,000 square foot bank branch. You're going to love this. Two drive-thrus, 2,000 square feet, brand new, 20-year lease by the largest savings and loan in Montana. Uh-huh. And somebody says, well, I, I live in Pennsylvania. You know, why would I want to buy in Montana? Well, that's the beauty of a triple net transaction. You don't have to do anything. The tenant pays the insurance. The tenant pays the maintenance. 
The tenant pays for the taxes. They send you a receipt showing you they're paid. If the building's destroyed, the tenant's responsible to rebuild it. And here's the kicker. That was only a $600,000 deal. So if somebody could scrape together $150,000, it was an eight cap in year one. It had, I want to say, 3% increases in the rent. And literally, the management responsibility for that deal was you had to manage to keep your bank account open. And that's it. That's it. No, no, no toilet paper, no tenants, no toys in the, the plumbing, none of that stuff. And that's why, like I said earlier, I got out of, you know, apartments and into the, the investment world, you know, triple net deals and industrial. You know, my industrial buildings, my, my turnover for a tenant is I send my guy over there with a leaf blower. And <laughs> blow, the, blow the dust down. Here's your warehouse, you know? Yeah. Uh, the tenant improvements, so- I'm not changing carpet. I'm, you know, I'm not doing anything. Yeah, that's and, a very that's a very good point because oh, yeah. can, kind of that standard in industrial, even commercial real estate is that white box, right? People refer to it as a white oh, yeah. box, right? You don't yep. you don't do anything. It's just it's walls, a ceiling, a floor. That's it, right? That's it, absolutely. And there are smaller industrial buildings all over the place. I know Allentown is full of them. You know, you know the the, the fifteen hundred two thousand square foot bays. And those, the reason why I like those for, you know, a neophyte investor is Mm -hmm. you're going to have a hard time getting hurt. The guy who's going to rent your building is the landscaper or the guy who rebuilds, you know, CV joints, or it might be a cabinet shop or any number of those other units. These are the guys that can't park their truck in front of the house in their community. So they need somewhere to store their equipment. So they're, you know, they're in there, they're in there on a daily basis, they're paying the rent because they need somewhere to keep the stuff. And as long as you as a landlord are keeping uh, an eye on the rents and the values in the marketplace, and you're, you're making those adjustments accordingly, you should do just fine. Yeah. And then it's, you know, once you've reached a certain point, I, I like to use, for example, the, the 20% mark, mm-hmm. you know, once I've gotten to a 20%, you know, appreciation. I pull the trigger. I'm not holding out for 25. I'm not holding out for 27. You know, I'm not going for 30 because by the time I get done doing that, if I miss my guess, yeah. Yeah, you know, now it's now it's I lost 20%. Right, right. You're going down the other side. Oh yeah. And so and listen, some people don't buy this, but I was doing a a modification in Detroit and it was a six unit apartment condo townhouse thing. And it originally was going out at 1.2 million. And when I got it, I landed on my desk. There was a 90% loss severity on that property. So the property wow. was worth 1.2, you know, two years ago was worth $120,000 then. Wow. Yeah. If That's you held, incredible. And, and if you held out for the extra 5%, guess what? Yeah. You were, you were up to your eyeballs in it. Yeah. No it kidding. was ugly. So that that's really one of the things that I would would suggest your readers need to pay attention to and really focus on. Make sure your rents are competitive with the market. Love is zero in tennis. It's zero in real estate. Like <laughs> your tenants, don't love them. Yeah, make right. sure they're they're paying the market rent and understand that you know that that pride of ownership is great, but it doesn't translate into your bank account. It's right. an asset. And at some point in time, that asset has got to trade. Right. So don't fall in love with that property. I mean, now, from a negotiating standpoint, every property I have is my favorite property. 
Right. Yeah. Oh, it's my favorite. I couldn't possibly get and rid it's of that. The, and it's the best one on the block, oh, right? It's the best one. <laughs> so much better than anybody else's. You know, I, I inherited this. It reminds me of my grandfather, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's an asset and it needs to get traded. And then right. I just take the proceeds and, and move into something else. So that's that's really, you know, what, I, what I'm like and what I'm looking at. For the apartment segment, you know, your folks really need to stay... Uh, like, I, I, I got to tell you, we've got an apartment building that just opened up down the street here, and they're renting a, I want to say it's a two-bedroom, two-bath for $3,000 a month. Gosh. Yeah, well, I, I, well, they're asking <laughs> $3,000 a month. Right. Now, here's the news flash, and you guys know this. You know, at $3,000 a month, if you back into the numbers, you have to make $100,000 a year. To afford it. To afford it, yeah. Right? Well, mm-hmm. the median income in Broward County is 58000 bucks. I was just going to say, <laughs> I bet you it's not a hundred. <laughs> no, it is not. So, you know, I look at that and I go, okay, you know, where are you going to go with this? And, you know, it, it's just a, a situation where, you know, it's red hot. Everybody that's fleeing the Northeast is coming here. Yeah. And, you know, they're they're selling their house. I mean, one of my one of my neighbors and friends... They sold their house up in New Jersey for over a million bucks. I think they sold it for like one, two, or one, three. Yeah. They came down here and bought a house in Delray that was bigger than the house they sold. I think they had, I think it was a $500,000 brand new home. They paid all cash. Yeah, it's certainly a different market. I mean, New Jersey is obviously very premium priced and very inflated taxes are high and oh yeah probably not one of the best states to have investments in but yeah a lot of people do go south they do go to the affordability more affordable well that's that's what i'd say the your your listeners have to focus on is that affordability Mm -hmm. and and understand you know you'll hear about like i said all these rarefied air big deals understand that 85 percent of all commercial transactions are private party deals Right. The moms and pops. It's not, you know, uh, the REITs that are doing the business. And and right. literally, when you look at the REIT market, the REIT market on a dollar value, you know, the big boys is probably 17, 18% of the total market. Yeah. So the other 72% of all transactions, all dollars is private party stuff. Right. It's the mom and pops. It's the guy who has the, you know, the mechanic shop, the pizza shop, the, you know, the 7-Eleven, whatever. That, that actually is driving the real estate market. The episode will continue in just a moment. As an investor, we know it's important to stay on top of market trends and real estate opportunities that add value to your portfolio. We also know that having a trusted source of reliable information to help you stay a step ahead of other investors is critical to your success. If you're interested in having these types of resources, as well as access to me and my team, I invite you to join the Empire Investment Club, a free service that gives you an easier way to make sense of today's and tomorrow's real estate opportunities. As a member of the Empire Investment Club, you'll get access to relevant resources and investment-focused experiences such as live interactive webinars, market trend presentations, and investor socials designed to equip you with what you need to succeed. So whether you're an active investor, passive investor, a combination of both, or just starting out, the club is where you'll get what you need to build a portfolio you love. To join, just head over to jenniferdehesus.com, sign up, and we'll see you in the club where everyone's on a journey to becoming a better investor. So I think that your listeners need to really focus on, you know, affordability, trying not to get out of that, you know, that golden mean where they're right, you know, right straight up the middle, 
you're not taking a flyer on you know three thousand dollars a month. You're not renting for three hundred a month unless there's a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know you're staying right there where the the biggest percentage of the population can afford to pay your rent. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that. The other one. The other one that I I got to tell you, unless. And it's funny because I used to go to these, you know, the real estate investors club meetings all the time because they Mm -hmm. wanted me to talk about commercial real estate, you know, and I'm hearing about all these wholesalers and the fix and flip and all that stuff. And my opinion is that fixing and flipping and wholesaling is a lot like musical chairs. Yeah. It works great as long as the music's playing, (laughs) but at some point in time, somebody's going to end up without a seat. (laughs) I Absolutely love that analogy. It's a hundred percent true. Well, yeah, I had listen. I have a, a friend who's a doctor, and he decided he was going to become a real estate investor. Uh huh. Now you know doctors are the worst real estate investors on the planet. <laughs> they they think they know everything. Number one, and number two, they they just make bonehead decisions as far as real estate goes. So this guy went out and bought a. Uh, I want to say it was probably like a $200,000 house wholesale, right? And I think he paid about 180000 bucks for it. And he's telling me how he's going to go in and skin it. He's going to flip it for two forty, and he's going to do it in a month. Well, that didn't quite work out as he had planned because he went in and this was a foreclosure. Mm-hmm. And before the people left the home, they flushed sacrete cement mix down the drain oh. pipes. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So in order for him to get the house working, he would have to replace the pipes. But before that happened, somebody flushed the commode and flooded the house. Oh, God. Now, all of the new hardwood flooring that he put in, mm-hmm. which wasn't laminate or, you know, composition flooring, literally blew off the floor. Right. It all it all got swollen and popped right off the floor. Right. So there goes his there goes his floor throughout the whole eighteen nineteen hundred square foot house. Oh no! Now, in order to fix the plumbing, we don't have basements down here. Right. So what you do is you hire a crew, and these guys literally tunnel under the house. Oh god! And pick the pipes out from underneath the house. Now picture this: you've oh. got five or six guys who've descended on your house, digging out all of your drain lines underneath your house oh gosh but but wait there's more he he's got the plumbing permit to do this right and while he's getting the permit work done the inspector comes out and goes oh hey by the way your service entrance is inadequate and doesn't meet code so you're going to have to replace your service entrance so a new electrical service entrance for that house was like 2700 bucks No big deal. Mm -hmm. But the problem with it was that the service entrance was on the side of the house where the air conditioning unit was. And the air conditioning unit was too close to the service entrance to meet code. So now he has to move the air conditioning unit over like six feet from the new service entrance. Right. (laughs) He gets that done, gets the plumbing fixed, puts a new floor in it. Guess what happened to his $60,000 profit? He had none. Yeah, gone. had none. Yeah. And here's here's the funniest part about it. There was a little bit of a market correction. So the 240 he thought he was going to get became 220. Yeah. So he didn't come out of that too well. Now, yeah, let me let me let me add a, a cautionary tale, however. I have a buddy, family friend, he was a buddy of my dad's up in Lancaster who started out buying houses 
And when I last spoke to this guy, he owned 300 of them. Mm -hmm. He would buy a house that was a $100,000 house for 50,000 bucks. Mm -hmm. He had his own crew. He'd mm -hmm. do all the work himself. He was a general contractor. Right. So he's not paying, you know, retail for the work. He's paying wholesale. Right. And that's how he survived. When right. the weather got nasty, he'd throw his guys in the house and say, go in and, you know, drywall this thing, put a new kitchen in, et cetera. So unless you've got a real strong exit plan and or you're buying it right and you know the metrics, Fixing and flipping is, is something that should be left to, you know, people who've either got the expertise or, you know, have more money than God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. It's a very, very risky business and it's so much impacted by the marketplace and the marketplace as people know today can change overnight, literally overnight. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it, it, listen, here, here's the thing. People don't understand that, for example, right now, you know, and I'm not going to try, I'm going to try to stay apolitical. I'm going to try and stay out of politics. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, you know, I, I went to school, my, my background is in economics. Mm -hmm. And anytime you have inflationary pressure, like we're experiencing right now, you're going to see an uptick in rents. You're going right. to see an uptick in prices, but then something happens. When I was a kid, the first one I remember happening back in like 1973 was the oil crisis. Right. Everything was going along swimmingly until we, A, in 1971, took the United States currency off the gold standard and everybody freaked out. And then mm -hmm. the oil prices went from 25 cents a gallon to a dollar a gallon. You know, and it right. was like people were pulling their hair out and throwing themselves out of building windows. Mm -hmm. Well, all of that caused a contraction. In real estate. Right. So the house that was trading for 60 or 70,000 wasn't getting sold. It was sitting on the market for nine months, 10 months, 12 months, you know, or longer. And they'd have to make concessions to get the house sold. Right. Uh, after that, you know, the, the market picks back up again. And, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily know what the next progenitor will be, but we had the, you know, 1980s, 1979. Big thing there was the Iranian hostage crisis. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that, that caused a huge stir in the markets because OPEC was involved peripherally and everybody's flipping out about that. And, you know, there was this shadow of war and all that. And guess what? The economy went sideways. Right. So now we're, we're retrenching again. Then you move into the 1990s. We had the savings and loan crisis and that bailout in 1989 and 90. Mm -hmm. Then that was followed in 97 by the tech implosion. Right. You know, and, and all of these things are not in real estate, but because of the amount of capital that's involved, right? you know, you'll see this, you know, the happy dollars dry up right. and people pull back. Completely agree. I think it's really important in any kind of investment, real estate investment, let's be specific, is that you try to identify things that are recession proof. You know, now I say COVID proof <laughs> or well, similar again. pandemic type, you know, yep. try to find things that are still essential, right? Housing is essential. Warehousing mm -hmm. is essential. Oh, yeah. Medical is essential, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, your little mom and pop shop, not so essential, right? Well, how about bowling alleys? You want to yeah. buy into a bowling alley right now? Or, right. Or like you said, those specialty type of, you know, golf courses, stuff like that. Oh. So. You know, you've got to think about the market corrections. You've got to think about things outside of your control and how they affect 
how people spend their money. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. And I know this is a little, a little macabre, but I was involved peripherally with a company that specializes in cemeteries. And the rule with the cemetery is the guy who develops it goes broke. The guy who buys it from the guy who developed it goes broke. It's the third guy who buys it that actually makes it work. And it's just because <laughs> of the cost associated with it yeah. and the time frame. And, and let's face it, you know, you're, you're talking about a commodity there where people aren't exactly beating a path to your doorway. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's usually a, an afterthought. It's kind of like, oops, now what do we do? So you, you got to be very cautious in what you're, what you're putting your money in. I think, again, right now for the smaller investors, it's a great time to get started in single family housing. You've got to be very selective, though, because of the prices. Right. And you've got to really take a look at the rental income. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there on out, I'd say, you know, duplexes, four units, things like that. And then once you've got to a point where you're comfortable, I'd say move into something like that triple net bank. Right. I mean, I, I love triple nets. I mean, it's just like, okay, you know, they, they send me my, they send me, they don't even send a check anymore. They just wire it. It's direct deposit. So, you know, and I, every now and again, I'll, I'll hop on the, you know, like Google Earth or something and look at my building and, you know, I, I like to, I'd like to buy one like in Las Vegas. So I have a business reason to go to Las Vegas, but uh, yeah, I, my wife's not a fan. So <laughs> I have to stick with stuff a little bit closer to home, but that's, you know, that's really what I like and what I'm looking at. I am firmly of the opinion that the market is going to correct and in some cases, it, it might actually implode. And it's just because the the relationship between returns and capital costs, it, it, there's there's no relationship. I mean, you know, formerly there was, you know, you, you've got to have a margin of safety, debt service coverage ratios of, you know, one, two, one, two, five, right. mm-hmm. you know, and, and if it does, you know, and, and it makes sense, they fund it. But again, if if the guy who's in your unit can't pay eighteen dollars a square foot to store his lawnmowers, right? It's going to be real hard for you to collect enough rent to pay the mortgage. Right. So you've got to be very careful, and and that's why I said you buy your profit up front. Right. And and listen again, don't fall in love with a deal. You know, just move on. And yeah, you've got to know when to sell. Thank you for listening to part two of my special guest interview with Adam Van Rommer. I'm excited to announce that we have one more segment, and that's the conclusion of my special guest interview. Please make sure you stay tuned to our next episode, where we will continue and conclude our conversation. Until next time, take care. For more information about how Jennifer can help you plan, develop, and manage a strong real estate investment portfolio, visit growingempires.com.